This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. I was standing out on a grassy knoll with my assistant, who was a firefighter, a volunteer for me. And I saw three teenage girls walk by and I said, my God, I'm failing. And he said, what do you mean you're failing? Look at this. Is, you know, the kids are playing roller hockey and these kids are swimming over there and archery. And I said, no, because you see these three teenage girls come Monday, they're going back to the rejection, back to their home life and the staring, the teasing. And, and he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, you know, I'm going to do something. And that was the birth of my organization, Angel Faces. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host. And let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for parents to be happy, healthy, and engaged themselves. Our singular mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe that awareness is the foundation of your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called Angel Faces with our guest, Lisa Cartelli. The idea for Angel Faces evolved as a result of Lisa's severe burn injury when she was nine years old. And as a result of her recovery and experience, she recognized the psychosocial needs of adolescent girls with disfigurement as they navigate the challenges of adolescence, rejection, and ultimately acceptance. Lisa has also personally experienced the challenge of maturing as an adolescent and professionally witnessed as an adult the struggle girls and now women have with social interactions, making friends, and simply fitting in that plague adolescent girls who live with disfigurement. Over the past 16 years, her small and mighty nonprofit has reached hundreds and thousands of trauma patients through the ripple effect. Angel Faces has received many prestigious awards for this innovative and educational program, including her research. And she is also the author of Heart of Fire, which helps people become their fullest selves. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you for that introduction, Dan, and, and thank you for having me on. Please, I, see, I, you know, I began with your story. Um, Please continue your story and let everyone know how your early life experience has formed your mission and passion. Um, it really began um, 
at when I was nine years old and I was trapped in a basement of um, my grandparents' home that had exploded from natural gas. And uh, it was a devastating, devastating explosion. Not a spoon was left, not a fork. And I crawled out of the basement um, and rolled in snow and put the fire out and had endured burns over half my body, second and third degree, full thickness. So I'd spent months in the hospital, um, reconstructive surgeries, lasted into my teenage years. And growing up looking different like that um, really can set you on a whole different path. You know, when I was injured and I was in the hospital, I was in that safe womb where people didn't stare at you and, you know, the nurses were caring and but the true healing happened the day I stepped out of that hospital, the true hard work. And that's when it was very um, difficult to go back to school um, and sort of field the questions of, why do you look like that? Ooh, mommy, look at her face. You know, this went on all day long. How did you deal with that? You know, um, I had a couple of epiphanies. One, I realized early, and I had an incident in fifth grade where this other girl in my class had looked really different too, not from a trauma, just she looked very different and was bullied. And I, I wasn't bullied from a physical level, but she was. And, and when they threw pencils and erasers at her and called her names, when the teacher was out of the room, she threw things back at him. She fueled it and she she would almost like feed the beast. Mm-hmm. And it things would escalate. But with me, it didn't happen that way. So I realized that, okay, if I'm nice to these people and I show these classmates and the people around me that I'm okay, that I'm normal, I'm just a girl with with scars, but I'm a girl first, then they began to treat me like that because Mm. it was how I treated myself. That's a, that's a profound awareness for a young person. Yeah. Fifth grade. Yeah. I started to see, wow, you know, this was really different. At that time, um, very little in the field of trauma uh, was was known. I mean, post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress disorder was a growing field in the early 70s. Um, and we only knew of trauma related to combat veterans. And, and then there was, you know, mixed, mixed feelings and ideas about what it was and how it was treated and do you treat it. And so here you are, in experiencing incredible trauma. And I'm curious as to what supports, if any, you received for that aspect of your experience. Nothing. (laughs) You know, it was the late 60s, 70s. And as you say, there was, it was such a budding field at that point. And my family went into just a full crisis mode of 
let's stuff everything. Let's not talk about any of the explosion and let's just get on with life. And that was a blessing in, in many ways because I didn't have the magnifying glass on me from my family. You know, maybe they're watching me from afar or from close, but they never showed it. You know, I was treated like my other four siblings, although my other four siblings will probably tell you differently. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they have a whole different perspective of that. Um, But so I never received any psychological counseling. I didn't see a therapist. I didn't, we just, you know, bared down and you got through it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and how would my life be different? I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have the passion I have to help other girls. Mm-hmm. You know, my father mm-hmm. once told me I had a, um, I asked him at 30 years old, dad, I have so many questions about the explosion. You know, what happened? How did it happen? Why did it happen? And, and he said to me, Lisa, I can't talk about the explosion because if I talk about the explosion, I will cry. And if I start to cry, I will never stop. Hmm. And, and that just made me so sad that for mm-hmm. all his life, he carried the guilt and the shame. And if, I, if only I was there. And, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible watching the family around you cope as well. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend to parents whose kids have been through a trauma, given your own experience and all of the work that we're going to talk about? You know, you can't do it alone. I, I know a lot of moms of children who have endured tremendous trauma and the mother wants to come in and be the savior. I think it's in their blood or, or the father. And, um, but they're, they're holding so much pain themselves and so mm-hmm. much guilt themselves that they can't see through that, through that forest. And I encourage them to reach out and get the help and get the professional help because often what happens is they don't, they don't get the help. They just bear down and try and get through it, which is how I was raised. And it comes out in different ways or Mm -hmm. the parent that surrenders to how that child was doing. You know, one of the sessions in the, in the retreat that I run, I asked the girls, you know, how many of you use your trauma and your injury to get what you want? And to manipulate your parents and, oh, all the hands go up. You know, when you ask that direct question, the hands go up. And, and because they know that, that the mother and the father has tremendous guilt and they can really use that to their advantage. On the flip side, we see a lot of girls that, like for me, this was my case as well, that go to school and endure tremendous rejection and isolation and bullying and all this. And they come home and the mom will say, well, how was school today? You know, and she gives the classic, oh, fine. Yeah, good. Because the last thing we want to do as a woman 
child is to come home and tell our parents how bad school was that day and inflict more pain on them. Right. And so we as children stuff it and we become we become the one that's controlling the whole family, really, and taking on the responsibility of the whole family and their emotions. That's a tough, you, you just raised this tough question that um, parents for uh, eons ask, um, or, or kids leave, it's have a great day, make it a great one. They come home, how was your day? Did you have a good day? And the more and more we learn about different aspects of parenting and our kids who experience um, hardship, bullying, um, what you're describing, you know, related to trauma, um, anxiety, all of this, it, it's like, what do we say to our kids, <laughs> right? Like, what, it seems such a benign question. How was your day? And do you have something to offer to uh, the rest of the folks who are listening and saying, what the heck should I say? So I do, I do the high-low question. And this is, you know, whether you have uh, a child that has endured an, a, a trauma or not, or it's just a normal, I say, you know what, um, what was the best thing that happened today? And let them answer. And then what was the worst thing? What was the hardest thing about today? Because how was your day gives a gives an easy answer of fine, great, good. But if you ask specifically, okay, what, what was your high low today? You know, what was the best? What was the worst? And then you could, mm -hmm. you know, you can navigate from there. I like that. That also gets around the fine, which we all know, but just like the, so what'd you do at school today? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, so, you know, you could also, you know, um, as, as you drop them off at school, you know, what, what do you think is going to be the best thing that's going to happen today? Or what do you, what are you dreading today? What do you look forward to? And right. that will hopefully, warrant different questions rather than, I don't know. Right. Direct questions, direct questions where they have the opportunity to respond honestly and, and without, without hopefully reducing the need to take care of us with their response. Yes, absolutely. So a little over 15 years ago, you founded mm -hmm. Angels, Angel Faces. What, what led to to this organization, this project tur that turned into an organization, you know, came about through through a very eyes wide open uh, experience. So I um, I went to a plastic surgeon here in San Diego to get a second opinion, and he said to me, "Let's talk about your face in a minute." He goes, "I'm astonished at your recovery. Why aren't you helping burn children in the world?" And I said, you mean there's burn children in the world? And I was 30 years old. And he, he wow. so he led me to an organization. So I started um, pretty much overnight a camp for burn children. And it became very successful really quick. Went from eight to 80 kids in the matter of a couple of years. 
And it was year two or three, and I was standing out on a grassy knoll with my assistant, who was a firefighter, a volunteer for me. And I said, and I saw three teenage girls walk by. And I said, my God, I'm failing. I'm failing miserably. And he said, what do you mean you're failing? Look at this. Is, you know, the kids are playing roller hockey, and these kids are swimming over there and archery. And I said, no. Because you see these three teenage girls, they walk by, come Monday, they're going back to the rejection, back to their home life, which they can't maneuver with full hearts, and the staring, the teasing, and and he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, you know, I'm going to do something. And that was the birth of my organization, Angel Faces. So I want wow. to create an environment. Yeah. Cause I saw that need. Cause I saw Dr. Dan, I saw in those girls myself, it was like my own heart was walking mm-hmm. in front of me, my own painful heart. And all I was doing was teaching those, those kids at camp, what their life would be like if they were normal. But come Monday, their reality comes back when they go back into the real world in school. So I wanted to create an intensive week-long retreat where I could give them a whole tool test of, okay, let's let's do some yoga. Let's do some self-reflection. Let's give them an opportunity to tell their story because we as volunteers and professionals are detached from the guilt and shame of their trauma that their parents are caught in. And we can objectively help them, guide them, steer them, and love them without our own pain getting in the way. That sounds like a tall order. It, it, you know what? It is a tall order. Um, but it's easy to do when you're not carrying the pain when you're trying to help somebody. Mm-hmm. It's like one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. Right. Right. And, and so professionals come in, I have licensed, um, licensed mental health professionals. We have sections where we do corrective cosmetics, which over time, um, it was called Corrective Cosmetics. And then a few years ago, I got a, a mentorship group together of the older girls who had been through the program. And they said, we want to change the name from Corrective Cosmetics because we don't think anything needs to be corrected. Hmm. And I'm oh, okay, this is good. This is good. <laughs> there, you know. Um, so we take girls from, from the ages of 14 now we have a level two up to 29 women and we have two levels and we run them through the grief and loss and the effects of grief and loss on themselves and their life. Um, we do role playing of staring and teasing where they come up with a scenario. You know, I was in Walmart and, you know, a child came up and said this. And so we teach them how to respond with love and with grace. And really it's about taking the dark covers off of them and showing them that they have light inside of them. And nobody has done that. 
Nobody has done that to them. They feel that they're the wounded child, they're the burn girl, they're the burn victim, which is horrible. And so I teach them that they're a girl first. They're a daughter. They're a sister. They're a good soccer player. Or maybe they're a good runner. Yeah, have they endured a trauma? You bet they have. But that's not who they are. That's an experience. No. And and I just, I think of complete and utter empowerment in this process that like you said, this light, this sort of like this grounding in who they are as a being, like who they are in their soul, in their, in their, in their human form. Um, and, and, and how with trauma and stress and bullying, how, how much we're all pulled away from our essence as, as people. Yeah. Our light goes dim. You know, our light goes very, very dim. And it's, and it's, it, it takes somebody to go, wait a minute, your light is really dim and come over here. Let's do some self work, work, you know, and let's, let's get this through. And I can tell you when you take a teenage girl who's been through hell, they're open. And they're hungry to heal. And Mm -hmm. when you can isolate them in a healing, loving environment for days at a time and give them some really good skills and tools, oh, my God, you you do see a completely different girl when she leaves. P.S., we have them relinquish all electronics at registration. We're on the same page because as you're talking, I was just going to ask you about, I mean, you know what you went through prior to technology and social media and the typical teenager, um, I would say even more the typical female um, suffers more as a whole than the male um, due to social media and images of what you're supposed to look like and where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing and wearing and these unrealistic expectations, which people spend a lot of time projecting. Wow. I mean, to, to have that layer in this generation on top of all of the other challenges related to burn and disfigurement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I get that too. You know, the girls come and, you know, I've got a girl from LA, 15 years old, was absolutely drop dead gorgeous. And she was in a recording studio in LA with some musicians and um, 11 o'clock at night. And they got into a turf war with another group of, mus- of musicians. And the one group um, torched the uh, recording studio and blocked all the doors and set it on fire. Everyone got out but her. So she suffered severe burns uh, over 90% of her body. And, you know, she's cu- she comes to the retreat and she's like nine months post, post-injury. Just got out of the hospital a few months ago. And I'm looking at her going... 
you have a gift. This was a gift that happened to you. And she's looking at me like I'm crazy, you know? And they come to me and say, why me? Why did this happen to me? And my response is, why not you? Why not you? How about you be the teacher? Because people are going to stare at you anyways when you walk into a room. So why don't you walk into a room with your light shining bright, with your self-love oozing, and teaching them what real beauty is? That's a tall order, Dr. Dan. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tall order. But as soon as they get that and they let the light shine through them and their eyes, then their life begins to change and get beautiful. Mm. And you've clearly seen this a countless number of times um, with your program and your retreats. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm abundant, abundance of stories. So this is so this is a story of hope and transformation and um, and how to use what we've been given experiences and who we are to not only better ourselves but to positively impact others. Absolutely. You know, whether it's, you know, anything that you go through, I think we have to grasp the lesson in it and the blessing in it. And sometimes it takes six months to see a blessing. Sometimes it takes six years. Sometimes you don't get it until you're 80. There's no, there's no prescriptive timeline for recovery. No. No, but the but I think the key is, Dr. Dan, is the recovery is our responsibility. Yes, we would love to change the world and the world's perception. And I, I do believe that's that's tilting, but it's a big mothership. Mm-hmm. So that's some time. But I think if we do our self-response, we are self-responsible for our healing, then we must begin that first step of it. And, you know, I've got girls that, that went down the wrong path, you know, and then they circle back around and call me a few years later and said, my God, you warned me. You warned me that I needed to make some choices and healthy choices. And I didn't. And now they are, you know, but we have to go through our own, Mm -hmm. our own healing. Don't we? Timeline. And it's a private journey. A private journey that you're suggesting people reach out to and bring people into. Yes, reach out for the healthy people. You know, I tell the girls, um, my family was in so much pain over what happened. Um, I couldn't go to them. I couldn't go to my mom and say, you know, you got to help me navigate through this. She was so buried in her own guilt that I had to go one level out. So you look at your life as like this ball and you have your inner circle, which is like your family. And then you have that outer circle, which is the ants and the people that are in your life that are peripheral. And then you have, you know, the bigger circle of your community. And for me, I teach the girls that, 
you know, often the parents aren't your first lifeline. It's, you know, look one level out. Do you have an aunt you're close with that you really admire? Do you have a godmother that you're close with, a grandmother, uh, somebody that's a little bit removed from the trauma but loves you and sees who you are that can help you? And then, you know, you've got the resources at school, but they've got to ask for the help. Mm -hmm. Well, and key to what you're saying, uh, you know, the whole mission of Parent Footprint is for parents to... uh, to live the life and model the life uh, they want their child to live and the person they want them to become. And there's always a lot of focus these days on our kids. Um, Many would argue perhaps an over-focus at the um, Mm -hmm. expense of focusing on one's own parental health. And so I'm looping back to your what you've said and your father's um, comment, which I've heard several different versions of that in my office over the years, um, how critical it is for parents to get their own help and support, like as critical as helping their child move through their own trauma. Oh, amen. You know, because you can't, you know, you can't help somebody if you haven't, if you're not able to help yourself, Mm -hmm. if you haven't sought the help yourself, you know, and sometimes it, I mean, it's not necessarily going to, um, a mental health professional. I mean, maybe, maybe a parent's Zen or, or their centeredness is a good hike in nature or, or a power walk or exercise or yoga or just breathing or reading or something that nourishes them to strengthen their own pain because the journey is totally different. And, -hmm. you know, I think as a parent, and I've seen so many times, Dr. Dan, and maybe perhaps you have too in your practice is that, is that the parent clips the wings of their children. Mm -hmm. And I see it a lot. Mm-hmm. really frustrating for me. It's very frustrating to watch out of fear. You know, the parents don't want their child to get hurt again. So they mm-hmm. don't let them go there or here. You know, Penelope, the movie Penelope is a classic example of that. Tell everyone for who had, and it just, who hasn't hurt, who has not seen it. It's with Reese Witherspoon and it's um, a movie about a girl that had a curse put on her family, and she was born with the nose of a pig. And um, her mother just, you know, kept her in a room in the, in the back, and didn't want people to see her. And and um, she escaped the house and wore a scarf around her face. And then she, you know, met Reese Witherspoon and they got on her Vespa and, and this, and the scarf blew off and, and Reese taught her to love herself that, that when she accepted how she looked, so did the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Then they go, Oh, ah, when they first see you, but if they see your love first, that's going to shorten the time where they go, Oh my God, 
mm-hmm. what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I showed the movie several years ago at, at, a, at a retreat the first night. And I have a girl uh, whose name is Mariah, who was born with one eye. And I knew she was special because in her application, she wrote, uh, there's a section where I asked them what their wish is. And she wrote, she wished she could see the world out of two eyes. I thought, wow, you know, she was 12 years old at the time, 13 mm-hmm. years old. So she came to me. So I showed the movie Penelope. She, she had her hair pulled over the one glass eye. And um, she all week she had hid this eye from everybody with her hair. So she'd seen the movie and it came the last day. And I bring in a team of hair specialists that is designed to give them a different style where their hair is pulled away from their face because often they will hide their face with their hair. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went up to her and I said, well, what are you going to do with your hair, Mariah? And she goes, oh, I'm just going to get a little trimmed off the back. And I walked away going, okay, God, this is a God moment. You know, you got to like help me out here. And I went back to her and I said, Mariah, do you remember the movie Penelope? Yeah. She said, I said, if you cut your hair into short cropped bangs, maybe you could see the world out of two eyes because then the world would see you for you. And she looked up at the therapist, at the hairstylist and she said, Okay, cut me bangs, short bangs. Wow. That little girl left. Her life has changed tremendously. She's married now. She's into kickboxing. She's she's a nurse. She went to school to become a nurse. Her whole life changed because she showed the world who she was. And the world went, oh, okay, let's get on with it. That is such an inspiring story. Lisa, what is, what is for parents listening, parents of kids who have experienced trauma, um, dealing with mental, emotional, psychological pain, what is one thing you would recommend for them? To not be afraid of the pain. To embrace the pain. To acknowledge it. Know that, you know, that is a dark place. And then, and then move, move through it, move beyond it. But I think we run from pain in our lives. And running from pain just makes the pain bigger, right? Mm-hmm. If you turn around and face it and you either get help professionally or reach out to somebody who know who you know that can help you. But I think just honoring that pain, I tell the girls, look, pain's going to come to the parent. Pain's going to come, but don't give it a chair to sit on. Don't make it comfortable in there. Acknowledge it and do your best, the best way for you to move through it. You have so much wisdom and 
it's time for you to share more with the parent footprint moment question. And as you are aware, that question is, tell us of a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. So, um, it was early on in, in Angel Face's inception, and at one of the retreats, I had some girls come to me, and these were three particular girls who had no mothers. Two of her, their mothers had died at scene, and one mother had abandoned her. And they came to me and said, why don't you have any children? Because I have no blood children. I'm not a parent. And I said, and I never really thought about why. I kind of knew it, but I never told anybody that I didn't want children because I didn't want to run the risk of my child being seriously hurt. And I couldn't cope because I saw the effects it did on my family. So I didn't want to go through that. So it was easier not to have a child than to go through that and risk that child being seriously hurt. And they kind of looked at me with this sort of glassy-eyed, and then they left. And I realized an hour later that I did have children, that <laughs> all those girls were my children. Mm-hmm. And what happened that night at 11 o'clock at night, I was laying in bed and we're in full middle of the retreat. The girls are all sleeping in their quarters and I hear a soft tap on my door and I open the door thinking that it's a volunteer to give me some news of something and open the door. And there's where those three girls standing there. And they said, can we be your children and you can be our mom, please? Can we? Oh my God. I, it, was a, it was, it was a moment for me that I'll never forget. I have the chills. So people will ask me, they'll, they'll say, Oh, do you have children when I'm out socially or something? And somebody's standing next to me. I answer, I say, no, I, you know, I don't have children. And somebody who knows me standing next to me will say, Oh yes, she has children. She has hundreds of heart children. You have hundreds of children. (laughs) And what an impact, Lisa, that you have made um, in their lives because of, as you talk about a gift given in an unthinkable, from an unthinkable circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, who knew, <laughs> right? Yeah. Who knew that out of like, that burned out basement, out of that would come something so powerful. But Dr. Dan, I didn't want to waste my pain. Mm. I didn't want to go through all that pain for nothing. You know, mm. I wanted to transform that pain. And you have. They, I, it's, a, it's a process. Yeah, and I <clears throat> so grateful to you for sharing your story. Um, 
uh, to our community and, you know, all the times that you share your story to inspire and empower others uh, to be able to have the courage to face their pain and heal. Uh, please tell everyone where they can follow um, your organization and your retreats and get more information about your work. So um, they can go on to our website, angelfaces.com. And they can sign up for our, you know, for our newsletters and um, different pieces that we send out. We're also on Facebook, in Instagram. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, and also they could read my book, Heart of Fire, which you could purchase through um, Angel Faces website and my own personal website, as well as Amazon and ebook and um, uh, audiobook in my own voice, which was a crazy endeavor <laughs> to do in your own voice. I, you um, have a you have a soothing also, voice, a very soothing voice. I think people would like to hear you tell the story. Hmm. Thank you. And I'm open to donations. We're a nonprofit, 501c3. Um, our girls come from all over the country and overseas as well. We get girls from London and Russia and South America, Canada, as well as the United States. What an impact. Lisa, thank you again for sharing all your wisdom with us and, and hope for everyone who is going through pain, whose children are going through pain. And as you say, how important it is to embrace it, accept it, face it, acknowledge it, and then walk through it. There you go. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for giving me the voice. And, and I hope, you know, one of your listeners makes that shift today. They will. All right, everyone, that concludes the show. I'm a bit speechless. I'm, I'm moved, um, just inspired by Lisa's story and her work. And it is a message for all of us, whatever our pain, our struggle, our kids' pain, our kids' struggle, we need to face it. We need to walk through it and come out on the other side stronger and healthier and impacting the world in any positive way we can. As always, try to be the person that you want your child to become. Live your life fully and ask yourself the question I ask myself daily. What footprint do you want to leave?